Mike Hilkowitz, thanks so much for joining us here in the Caves of Altamira. Uh, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, I, I kind of want to just, in some ways, start with the most recent events and maybe work our way back um, um, as we kind of progress from there. But let's let's just start right from what's been going on, you know, the last two or three weeks and uh, the recent spat of, of violence and exchange of rocket fire and so forth. And ostensibly, right, this was started over a dispute over some, you know, maybe 10 to 15 dwellings in East Jerusalem. Is that correct? Uh, and four. Actually. Four dwellings in East Jerusalem. Uh, well, sorry, t- for at the moment, two. Two, two homes, two homes, four like four family dwellings, but in two two buildings that are close to both the Al Aqsa Mosque and is it in the Temple Mount, right? So the, the, yeah, the so Dome of the, the Rock, or yeah. So the the neighborhood in question is called uh, Sheikh Jarrah, and it's a relatively old neighborhood just outside the old city walls in Jerusalem. One of the the shames about this whole thing is the world only really pays attention when these things flare up. But the the question of Sheikh Jarrah and what to do with it and how how to handle it has been working its way through the Israeli courts for about 25, 30 years. And so this is not a a new situation as much as the world might just be opening its eyes to it. It's it's also not an isolated situation. So there's this issue, like there's this meta issue, like to my understanding of like, whose land is, is, you know, the holy land between the River Jordan and, and the Mediterranean, right? And like, who, like, what, I mean, who you know, well, well, so like, but, but what I, I'm kind of where I'm leading with this is that at the same time, there is this like litany of very specific land ownership disputes that almost are about specific parcels, right? So it's interesting, like, yeah. like you're saying, I think the world focuses on kind of the meta issue of like, whose land is the quote unquote holy land. But like you're saying, it often reduces down to nine, four, seven, so-and-so way. Like yeah. who owns that house? And like, what, where, where was the deed in 1949 versus 1960? And you absolutely. Know. Um, right. And so this is like, this is in that kind of pool of property disputes that in, in though, though there's this weird context, I mean, take on like a kind of civil dispute kind of characteristic. Yeah, it's a it's a really good distinction to make um, because we have two different kinds of things here when it comes to these land disputes. You have sort of like you said the the meta the the macro level dispute of who holds sovereignty and which government should have authority, um, but then there's all also these micro disputes that are really in some ways individual disputes by individual landowners and tenants and things like that about privately owned land. Um, Mm. And this is one of the most confusing things about this. And one of the things that's led to the most misinformation about what goes on in the conflict. You can, you know, you've, you've probably seen the, the meme that is four maps of the the territory that we're talking about, Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, Israel, Palestine, whatever you want to term it. And it shows the dispossession of Palestinian land over four maps. 
Now, the issue is, and it's it's a really misleading meme because the issue is that it says basically no that- there's not a misleading meme those don't <laughs> every meme is totally- every meme is dead on yeah um, <laughs> okay but no no but it, it gets to like the meme gets to a real difference in the way different people view the conflict uh and it's actually very telling because the first map has the whole land green and it's palestine Right. And it's supposed to represent 1946. The problem with calling the whole land, you know, Palestine in 1946 is it's not really so accurate. Right. In 1946, this land was the British mandate of Palestine. It was not controlled by Palestinians. It was not controlled by Jews or Israelis. It was under this, you know, the sovereignty of the British. Before that, it was under the sovereignty of the Ottoman Empire. Before that, the, the Mamelukes, the Romans, the Greeks, right? It's, it's a long history. But, but it, it looks at the map as though there is no private property, right? It's, it's, it's creating political borders that weren't actually there and ignoring that Many areas in 1946 in this map that is all Palestinian, many land areas, you know, at that time were owned by Jews. Many land areas were owned by Arabs. Many land areas were owned by absentee landlords living in Beirut and Damascus. So the the question of whose land is it, right? We have this, this macro level. Um, and then we have this micro level and we have neighborhoods, especially around Jerusalem, because the the in the in the eyes of the Israeli government, the legal uh, issues in East Jerusalem are different than in the West Bank. And this is another one of these things that complicates the issues is the different legal standards that are used in different places. East Jerusalem was annexed by Israel. Uh, it's not recognized by, by the international community, but in terms of Israeli law in East Jerusalem, Israeli civil law is applied, whereas in the West Bank, Israeli military law is applied because Israel considers the West Bank to be under military occupation, and it considers East Jerusalem to be Israeli territory. And it's a really important distinction. So we have these neighborhoods, Abu Tor, uh, Silwan, uh, Sheikh Jarrah, which are, you know, East Jerusalem neighborhoods where before 1948, Jews lived. And when the Jordanians took these areas in East Jerusalem in in 1948, at the you know at the end of during the 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 Nakba, as the the Palestinians refer to it, and you know the Israeli War for Independence, as as Israelis talk about it, mm. um, these were areas that the Jewish residents were ethnically cleansed from. Private their private property was taken, and they were they were removed and kicked out of the land. So uh, in in the in the specific case of Sheikh Jarrah, 
1956, the Jordanian government, which was in control of this territory at the time, made a deal with UNRWA, which is the, um, the UN agency that is specifically created with the mandate of dealing with uh, the Palestinians. So the Jordanians and UNRWA made a deal to give these properties to uh, Palestinian refugees who had been living in um, what had now become Israel and had, and had fled or had been kicked out during the war, right? So they took these Jewish-owned properties and gave them to Palestinian refugees without, you know, regard to the owner's rights, which, you know, is problematic. Not to say that Israel didn't do many similar things on the other side. Right. Well, that's what's coming to mind. Because, I mean, if like if this is a story of people having like under either direct or indirect political and and potentially violent pressure to flee or vacate a residence and then having that residence seized by others. I mean, I'm starting to think I'm like, well, I've heard that story before. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's part of what makes untangling this conflict so difficult, right? Everyone's been wrong and everyone is seeking justice. And unfortunately, in many ways, it's at least in the way we're thinking now and the, you know, the current way we look at it, it's hard to think about how to get justice for both people here, for both groups. So, so you have the, and, and, and to be fair to Israel, right? And, and I try when I'm talking to, to be as unbiased as possible, but I'm an, you know, I'm an Israeli. I live here. You know, but to be fair, the Israeli Supreme Court has ruled in favor of Palestinians in these land disputes many times in the past. And there have been parts of settlements that had to be torn down because the the plot of land that these four houses was built on was privately owned Palestinian land. Right. So. The, the courts have, have ruled generally, not always, in, in cases that have come before them in favor of at least giving restitution to the previous property owners. Right. And so, I mean, to me, though, speaking of different levels, I mean, in some level, we can think, though, even though there is kind of this, you know, meta or overarching kind of situation in terms of the disputed land in in a larger sense, um, that perhaps filters down into these kinds of, uh, you know, like often centered on like, a couple hundred acres or even a couple dwellings here and there. I, I mean, I think, and this is, is my angle into this, and, and you know, to full disclosure, as with you, I mean, I'm, I would, you know, in, in by and large, tend to see that um, though there has been you know huge amounts of injustices perpetrated, um, and I, I mean that genuinely, not as just a kind of cliche throwaway line. I mean, I really, I really understand that. Uh, I, I think, especially if if we're looking in the last twenty or thirty years, um, increasingly, I've I've found that you know, in, in some ways, it's not about like who's good or evil, but that 
the Israeli government has the power to, as you're mentioning, you know, to occupy the West Bank, to serve as a military state in the West Bank, and um, to control the situation in Gaza or effectuate things in Gaza on a level that is not at, at all possibly reciprocated. And so that, again, that's, that's not a question of like good or evil. That's just a question of, of kind of factual Power dynamics. Dynamics, yes. And, and what I think, you know, that, that this gets back to like the conditions under which these property disputes take place is not a, a situation of some sort of like what we call like an ideal type no, um, absolutely. Like me, liberal me, civil society. I mean, yeah. so it's not, I mean, like what, what I would, and I don't think you're necessarily trying to do that, but what, what one could take away from what you're saying is like, oh yeah, I mean, this is like just no, any a, other court. There's I mean, a there's really, a, there's a, no, no, there's, there's an really overarching kind of set of conditions that have shaped like the very, you know, the very conditions that are under dispute are themselves the product of a fairly asymmetric power dynamics, right? Absolutely. And, and, um, there's there's a there's there's a caveat to everything I'm saying about these property disputes, and it's a huge caveat. And I probably should have started with it. The huge caveat is Israelis who had property in the occupied territories, specifically, more specifically in East Jerusalem, but in general in the occupied territories, Israelis who had property. Jews who had property have a law that allows them to get that property back or get restitution for that property. There is no symmetrical law that allows Palestinians to get their property back from Israelis. Right. And, and, so, and, that, and is that even, so, so is, is that even is, true of Arab, is that even true of Arab Israelis? Well, so the the thing about Arab Israelis is they didn't leave, right? But some of them did leave their dwellings, like they they did flee from one place to another. So even. so so the 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 Arabs who were internally displaced in um, Israel, hmm. by and large, live in the same places they did. They they went back so quickly. Like there were never any Arab refugee camps in Israel proper. Those people went back to their their home. Even though I'm having like a legal conversation or discussion about these specific cases in Sheikh Jarrah or, or you know wherever, the the overriding reality is we're talking about a situation where one side has legal rights that the other one does not. Right. Because deeds, like property deeds, are always bound up with a political set of political institutions, right? They're never... They, property in the abstract doesn't really exist. It exists within a certain political context. Uh, there's, also, there's also another caveat that I want to okay. give. And it's, a, it's mm. something that most people don't know about this situation. Okay? All right, tell us something we don't know. So, so with the caveat, caveat about Israel, Israeli law, there's also the caveat that in 1982, these people were offered a deal that they could live there as protected residents, right? Legally, uh, uh, a definition in, in Israeli law that stops eviction and, and these kind of things. Mm. They could live there in these in these dwellings as protected 
um, residents if they agreed to pay rent. They agreed to pay rent in 1982. They have still not paid one shekel in rent. Again, during the, the, the most current court proceedings about this, they were offered if they started paying rent now, not even retroactively, just if they started paying rent now, they would be given the status of protected residents and be allowed to stay. Um, part of this is also a political refusal to pay rent, right? The, the Palestinian Authority has gone you know, emissaries from the Palestinian Authority have gone to these people, especially in, in 1982 after they agreed to the deal and said, you can't pay this rent. If you well, pay I mean, this rent, it legitimizes right. what's happening. Well, and I think there's a point to that. I mean, you may not agree with that point. No, but no, like, absolutely. It, but I, but I'll, I also say, I'll also so say, I'll also say. But that, that gets the know, point. But it's not just about rent. It's about what that rent would acknowledge or, or like you said, legitimate. Right, but, I mean, so, but, but at the same time, it's not just about eviction, right? And the story hmm. that is told is Israelis just want to take this over, right? I mean, isn't that ostensibly true? I mean, let's, let's wait, be wait. honest. I mean, they do want to take the control wanted, of East Jerusalem. Wanted, I mean, that is wait, the stated. Wait, I'm not, talking wait, about wait. the stated goals. But Kevin, we're not talking about East Jerusalem. I'm talking about this current conflict, right? And what people are being told about the realities of the situation in Sheikh Jarrah. Everyone comes at it with their own preconceived notions from what they've been told. Right? Or what they or what they've come to believe. I mean, let's or be fair to people. I, well, I mean, I think a lot of people I think people who haven't spent time here, mm. for the most part, come to their opinions on what they've been told as opposed to deep research on, on the situation. I mean, yes and no. It depends. I, I've never been to the Holy Land, unfortunately, but I feel like I've, I've you know, spent a good amount of time trying to learn about it. And I, I feel you know, I have a, a healthy appreciation for, for some of the finer nuances. Maybe they, it wouldn't be the same as if I, if I lived there, but I've been to Jerusalem, but I don't know. I, well, I mean, so anyway, but, so anyway the, the claim is made that, and, and we're not talking about Israel, the settlers, right? And this is, mm -hmm. you know, it's what I see all the time, right? The settlers are trying to take over Sheikh Jarrah. Right. Right. In, in, in some ways, it's, you know, part of the complication of all of this thing is sometimes it's uh, a fight between national aspirations mm. and sometimes it's a fight between small groups of individuals. Right. Um, mm. And so the, the claim is the settlers are trying to take over Sheikh Jarrah. OK. OK. If the settlers were trying to take over Sheikh Jarrah. Why would they offer to let these residents be protected residents, which mean would mean they they couldn't be evicted if mm. they just paid rent? You know what I mean? There's 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 complexities and there's nuances right. that that kind of get missed. And no, no, I, I okay. So, well, what what I'm hearing, and and I could be totally um, off base here, but I mean, what I'm hearing though, and, and this is, I think, gets to the point where this is on one level. I mean, it is operating on multiple levels. Like you do have 
like in this case, actually two dwellings, right? And and you, you, I think you laid out nicely kind of the historical ebbs and flows of, of, of how this dispute kind of came to be. But I think there is something to the notion that like, if you, the, because what, what the goal is, and I, I, I believe, except for, you know, there are some fairly extreme views and certainly among settler communities, there might be some people who are like, yeah, we don't want any Arabs living in East Jerusalem or in these neighborhoods at all. For sure. But I think, but I think for a lot of the, a lot of people involved and most people involved on, you know, from the Jewish Israelis um, in these areas are like, fine, we don't mind if Arabs live here, but it, there needs to be an acknowledgement that this is Israel proper. And and, and in some ways, like, and I know it can seem petty or like to, you know, small because we're talking about two residents, but I think, I think it, the irony is both sides do see significance in this. Like you pay this rent and you, and you accede to this and you are tacitly acknowledging the foundation that this is um, Israel proper. You're making an agreement as it is, like you're saying, importantly, under Israel's, Israeli civil law, which if you're accepting that and acknowledging the legitimacy of that decision and that course of action you are so it's it, so it's it's it, it, there there is nuance where it's like yeah they're not they're not trying to get you know most israelis are not trying to get all arabs or all, all palestinians out of that neighborhood but they're they're like you're going to live here as in israel proper east jerusalem as israel proper and the palestinian authority um has as you said like kind of advised or encouraged um and perhaps these obviously these families have it to some extent agreed like by doing that you, you know, you're you because for most Palestinians still want, and, and this is, I think, one of the big rubs um, that that we can think about spilling into to the conflict, and maybe we can, you know, kind of transition from this, is that they still see East Jerusalem as, which was the original idea, um, even amongst a lot of Jewish Israelis, right, that East Jerusalem would be the capital of the state of Palestine. So there is some like, I mean, there is something to it. It's not just, it is one level about these two houses and about paying oh, rent or not, but, no, it but it's about is. like, what is East Jerusalem? Is it part of Israel's civil authority or is it part of, I mean, that's the irony. If it was the, <laughs> I'm guessing, I'm wondering if like it was under the occupation government, if the Palestinians would be more willing to pay, it was like, okay, we'll pay the occupiers because it's they would acknowledging all, they, that. They would also have more rights against eviction. Right. No, there's definitely different legal standards in different places. But but I think um, that's the fundamental thing, like the, like acknowledging acknowledging East Jerusalem as part of again Israel proper is for most for I, I would hazard to say all Palestinians like extremely po- problematic. No, I, I I agree with you 100%. Here is one of these complexities, right? Because this gets in like it's very easy to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not, I'm not saying that as, as a, as a dig on you, right? It, it, right. To, to look at the information and, and draw that conclusion is rational, right? right. Um, but it, it, it doesn't take into account like, and this is one of these things that I've, I've learned most is in so many of these things, what we do is we look at the, the facts and we say, okay, this is the, the conclusion I draw from that. And we don't think of we don't think about the 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 why, right? We think a little like we're we're talking now about the why of why the these Palestinian residents what would not want to pay rent, okay? Mm. Let's think about the why of 
why the Jewish landowners would not be willing to accept not getting rent. And it's not because they're terrible people. Okay. Right. But, I mean, wait, when wait, we're wait. talking about wait, such oh, low on. amounts of, wait, okay, but we're talking about such low amount. Couldn't the Israeli government just pay them and say, look, that's this is the, a volatile. That's not the point. Okay. Just like, just like, couldn't the, the Palestinians just pay it? Right. <laughs> there's, there's. I know we're talking about paying rent in two houses in Jerusalem. No, no, but oh but it's god, such a, what did this world come to? Why are human beings so crazy? It's such a. It, I think part of the reason that that this Sheikh Jarrah dispute has taken on this life is that it so perfectly highlights so many of the critical issues, right. the critical macro issues on a micro level. Exactly. And and so, no, and that's kind of what, what I was trying to do is not, I, I, I get like, so that's what I'm saying. You're, you, you, you dialed it back down to like, okay, these, there's these Jewish Israelis who own the house. Well, but hold on. I, get, I, I, well, there's, a, there's a point I, I want to make that I, okay. that I want to, right. yeah. All right. Let's hear it out. Let's hear it. So, so when You're I guest here. You get, you get the space. You get some space in the caves, okay? So, so no, no, because I was, I was, I was. This is what I was getting to just before. Is the reason why these these Jewish landowners want rent is very much about trauma. It's very much about trauma. Mm -hmm. The majority of Israelis, either themselves or within the last two generations of their family have been dispossessed of property in either Europe or the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So you have people whose generational and immediate trauma is that they had their land stolen away. They had their property stolen away for nothing, no restitution. I mean, isn't and that the so, case for a lot of a lot of a lot of Palestinians who lived in what is now Israel? I mean, I, I think there's a, a similar thing there too. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Right. This is what I'm right. saying, right? Mm. What I'm saying is this intergenerational trauma, mm. and and not always intergenerational. There's not lots of you know my 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 ex my ex's um, grandmother. Mm hmm walked from Iraq to Israel with nothing. Mm. Everything she had was taken. And she walked from Iraq to Israel with nothing. Mm. Mm. So these traumas are not some ancient history. Sure. And the idea of this is just another time where my rightful property is being taken away from me. The other mm. side has the exact same, not exact same, but very similar generational and immediate traumas about land and ownership. Mm. Right? And so neither side is due to their to their traumas as as peoples, mm. neither one of these sides is is willing to compromise on this right of ownership because because they've both been, been dispossessed right yeah. you know and so they they want to show that okay 
you know, the, the Palestinians want to show that this is mine and I shouldn't have to pay for it. Mm. And, the, and the Jewish landowners are saying, this is mine and at least I should get paid for it. Yeah. And, and so there is that, like, so there is, like, and I think that's a, a really um, interesting kind of component in, that you're bringing to the discussion is that it, it really does, there is this component that it is about, like, on some level, a much more like civil like level kind of dispute. I mean, rent disputes are civil civil disputes, but but it's also um, in the national context of these right. national and, struggles. Yeah, so so that's where I'm going with this, right? In that it's not even like I, I'm just hypothetically saying, like imagine a scenario where it's like, okay, this this East Jerusalem is now under the control of the Palestinian Authority, but you know there's these Jewish families that own this property in in Palestine that you need to pay rent to. I'm guessing they're like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll pay you some rent. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, I think like, so all is a way to say not to, you know, I'm not trying to be reductionist here, but I think it, it does, this is where like you're talking about, and I think you, you said well, like how this encapsulates so much of the layers of this conflict and and the kind of larger historical and, and even more immediate political context. And to me, that kind of rub is East Jerusalem. I mean that that is the it's, kind of it's not the just East Jerusalem. It's 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 wider than that. But yeah, I mean, uh, well, that, I, I'm I mean, e- I mean, in some ways, yeah. On one level, East Jerusalem is, seems almost impossible, but of course, it's a that's a smaller piece of even a bigger puzzle. But let's just start with East Jerusalem as like, you know, and 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 I said I'm not. A, I think there is you know quite a few people in the left in Israel, um, um, Jewish Israelis, and obviously a lot, quite a few Arab Israelis. Who for decades in you know said okay East Jerusalem you know will will serve as the kind of capital of a future Palestinian state. I mean that was that's I mean now what's interesting and this and I think this is shows about power and the changing conflict. Like we're old enough now. Um, you know I'm, I'm I was born in the 70s, so I came up in the 80s and 90s. Um, particularly in this you know learning about this conflict in the 90s, like that was pretty stock. That was like stock George W. Bush, like saying like. We should have a Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as the capital, right? That was like not now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now it, within Israel, oh, Jesus. I mean, like th- like in terms of the mainstream political factions that have been in power, I mean, that that is considered like uh, anathema. Ask why. <laughs> why? I mean, it, it, you know, like my, my biggest thing in, in looking at this conflict mm. Um, and lots of people don't even like the word conflict to describe it, right? Because it it suggests some kind of symmetry. Right. Um, but but my biggest thing um, looking at this conflict and studying this conflict is um, really people don't ask the question why. Everyone like it's been going on so long, right? Mm. Everyone thinks they know why. Right. But most people have never even even within the conflict, most people have never asked someone on the other side. Why? Well, I right? mean, there's not so, one why. I mean, I think there's there's no, no, like but, it, I mean, I think this has been like a classic iterative like iteration. Like no, there's the, a there's the, an evolving why. The, the collapse of the Israeli left, the peace camp um, has has a direct cause. Um, I mean, let me let me let me make it a little bit more explicit. Like, if you ask someone in in, in the Israeli government, like a centrist in the Israeli government, um, in in the nineteen eighties, like, why are you building settlements? You would get one answer. 
If you ask someone in nineteen in the mid nineties, why 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 are we expanding the settlements? You get another answer. If you ask someone now, you would get a different answer. So why can be evolving? It's it's a part of iteration. Yeah, it's not, but there's not a there's not a static why. You're correct. Except thank you. Okay, let's stop. I'm done. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play that on loop. Yeah, I'm gonna, the whole here, I'll give you I'll give you a good one, right? Kevin Kevin, you've got that one hundred percent correct. Yeah, and it's just gonna be me riffing and then I'm just gonna fill that in and yeah. loop it. Um, <laughs> um, all right, so okay, so but you know what I'm saying? So like the why changes. Yeah, so but 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 we're talking about the last 30 years, right? You you wanted to know why this change in the last, or we're talking about this change in the last 30 okay, years. Okay, yeah. And it was in the context of like within, so let's let's go back and refer, you know, just to restate it, right? So the, I'm asking why what used to be considered reasonably mainstream, center left maybe, and, in the, and then obviously the farther left in Israel backed East Jerusalem as um, the capital of a future Palestinian state that was considered kind of a standard view. Yeah. Um, why now within the Israeli political milieu, like the center, if we're like thinking about where the center is, that is considered just, again, anathema, a horror, something crazy. To uh, say. I, I wouldn't go that far, but the, you know, the Overton window has definitely shifted to the right in the Israeli body politic right. over the last 30 years. Okay, um, and then I'm at, and then we go to why why so that's let's let's I mean because I think again like it helps to focus on specific kind of issues to, to, because there's so many so like this East Jerusalem question has really changed um, within Israel um, and why is that so it's it's Oslo and the breakdown of Oslo which which was the second Intifada the second Intifada is such a trauma on Israelis. Uh, for a couple of different reasons, right? You know, the 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 destruction was significant. The loss of Israeli civilian lives was, you know, really significant. But but beyond that, it was the feeling that the Israeli left had pulled together so many Israelis and gotten them on the side of peace had gotten them to, to come and to the Israeli government to, to become something that would come and sit down at the table, hmm. which had never happened before, right, in terms of the Palestinians. So all of that progress was made, right? The establishment of the Palestinian Authority, allowing the PLO to come back from Tunis, right? The hmm. idea of, can, can you imagine any situation where the United States would have said, Okay, Osama bin Laden, you know what? You can come in here and, and lead a political party, right? All right. Well, I, I think Arafat? a lot of people suffice to say, like comparing bin Laden and Arafat is, is you know, I, I mean, uh, yeah. You know, but look, in, in the term, how about this? <laughs> how about this? In, in, the, in the viewpoint mm. of Israelis. Okay. But you could also add in the viewpoint of Jordanians or the viewpoint of Syrians as well, because Arafat tried to overthrow both of those countries. Um, mm. You know, but but the idea that we had gotten the Israeli government to the point where they would accept Yasser Arafat coming back, allowing him back into the country, hoping for a better solution, right? So, you know, the Israeli public 
for the most part, really bought into this hope that this was the moment that, you know, there was going to be the breakthrough. Right. And the response to, and, and you can, you can look at Clinton's writings. You can look at Dennis Ross. You can look at any of the people involved in those negotiations. All right, just, just to back up, because we might even have some younger folks um, uh, listening here, right? So yeah. we're, you're, you're referring to Second Intifada that broke out after the breakdown of peace negotiations at Camp David yeah. in the late 90s at the end of the Clinton administration, right? Exactly. So just to, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are well abreast of this, but just to, <laughs> to, to fill, it, fill in the details, yeah. right? Uh, Arafat and Ehud Barak, came to Camp David, right. um, encouraged by Bill Clinton, um, a deal for a Palestinian state. And, and I believe with East, East Jerusalem as a capital, was yep. that part of the deal? Okay. It, was, it was the most sweeping offer that had ever been made. And, and right. like Barack went in there and offered East Jerusalem something like 98% of the West Bank and Gaza, Palestinian control over the Jordanian border, right? Like, this was of all the deals that had been offered right. by far the most substantial and really like something should have happened with it. And okay. So, and I'm going to ask uh, Mike, the analyst, not Mike, um, you know, yeah. from, from, you know, like what, what was Arafat like? And just give him, give, give me the best argument. Cause I, I'm, you know, to be honest, I, I always hear this, that Arafat walked away from this great deal um, and to be quite honest, that is a bit of a gap in my knowledge. Um, so give me your best argument for why, um, why Arafat walked away from that deal. So, so there's, there's two, right? There's two that I can think of. The, the first one, which is one I hear a lot, is he saw what happened to Rabin. He saw what happened to Sadat. Uh, Rabin was assassinated. Just to, again, a, a little fill in. Right? Yeah, Yitzhak, Yitzhak, Rabin, Yitzhak was, Rabin was assassinated right. by a right wing Israeli. Mm. Ju you know, after the signing of the Oslo Accords, Anwar Sadat was assassinated by uh, the Muslim Brotherhood after after signing peace with Israel. Right. Okay. So Arafat sees what happened to Rabin. What happened to Sadat? Both of those societies, let's say, were much more stable and security controlled than Palestinian society at the time. So he had a real fear for his life if he if he agreed to this. Number one. Okay. Uh, number two. It, it was a compromise. It would have been a compromise. Right. So that, that yeah, so you 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 focused on kind of what what was in positive on offer, but like the the like one thing and I think this is again one of those like put it put it in the category of important yet seemingly irresolvable um uh the right of return, right? So there would yeah. there would have to be a renunciation. I think that might have been yeah. also right, um, beyond right, so Arafat's own I just want to clear be that clear might have been the thing that got him killed. That might have been the thing that got him killed, right? Um yeah, exactly. Let me let's be clear on what we're talking about, right? Because there's a lot of you know confusion about this issue as well. Well, th well, this is good because this kind of circles us back to where we started, right? The right yeah. of return, and like you know, again, the the claims and counterclaims of legitimate, and this is where I'm saying property rights are contingent upon political 
environments or, or institutions, right? And so they can, you can't, there's no like abstract ownership, right? Doesn't exist in the abstract. It exists within a political context, right? And so in that, in that, in that context is, is part and parcel to these issues, not only in East Jerusalem, but with the, with the right of return and, and what, what the status of those are, um, it goes beyond, you know, it's, it, it's inevitably bound up with a set of political realities on the ground. So, oh, so go ahead. What, what you, yeah. So, so when we're talking about the, the, the right of return for Palestinians, right. Um, the idea of the, the Barack offer, right. Was a two state solution, right. Is it, Jews have right of return to Israel. Palestinians have right of return to the new independent Palestinian state. Okay. Mm. What, Arafat was not willing to give up on was the right of Palestinians to return to Israel proper, to, right. to the Israeli state. Um, and personally, and this is this is not analyst Mike, this is personal Mike. Uh, <laughs> I like personal Mike. All right, go ahead. Personal Mike has very severe doubts that Arafat was ever going to be willing to make real compromises for peace. Nor am I sure he even wanted to. There's a lot of me, and he, he had said so much in the past, there's a lot of me that believes he saw Oslo as the first step to taking all of Israel. And it was just a I mean, it was just a stepping stone. I'm 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 uh, you know analyst Kev's coming out here. This is analyst Kev. analyst Kevin's revol- responding to personal Mike. Um analyst Kevin says, "Look, I'm not an Arafat expert, but you know, again, I'm I'm a child of the 90s. Um and so I you know, this was back for for all, you know, our younger listeners like it, for in the 90s this was front and center in global politics and discourse. I'm, it 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 pops up here and now, but it's it's certainly receded in a way that um wasn't the case in the 90s. So yeah. I'm I'm reasonably all the way to say I'm reasonably familiar with with Arafat and you saying that I I just it doesn't like it doesn't jive with what I think of Arafat as is ultimately one of the craftiest and most shrewd political actors um, we've seen. And, and, and right. the fact that he, that he, so, you know, I'm not, that's not a, a hagiography of like Arafat is like some great human being, but he was just a shrewd and, no, and, and he won. very, and, and, and ultimately a point is someone who is as shrewd and as politically adept as Arafat knew that the Palestinians were never going to take over Israel. I mean, that's just, not, it's not, um, I mean, that was his rhetoric. He might have said that in a speech, but deep down, he, he, again, he is a consummate survivor. Yeah, no, absolutely. You said like lots of people want, lots of people, the Mossad was after him. Arabs were after him. Arab governments were after him. A lot of people want Arafat dead for a long time. The fact that he died of of natural causes is a pretty pretty impressive feat. But but when I say I don't think he wanted to make peace, it's because of this, Right. Arafat died with $3 billion in Swiss bank accounts. Right. He he was made incredibly wealthy Mm. by the Palestinian national struggle. 
Mm. He was made very wealthy because there was not a government to funnel aid and he was skimming from aid money. Mm. Right. You know, uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I think Arafat is not was not is not some like you know was 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 not. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm very I'm very short on the whole notion of political uh, uh, any pol- political kind of actor being heroic, right? So, I, I'm yeah. not, he's not, but I mean, it goes to the point where I, I guess my main point is I don't think Arafat would ever be so naive as to think like, yeah, we're gonna like the Palestinians are gonna take over all of Israel one day or, or in any in the next three or four hundred years. I mean, who knows what you know? We can't you know, see that. It, far it's history. hard to tell because he he's, he would say things like um the palestinians greatest weapon is our women's wombs right the the idea that okay even if we can't win by warfare we're gonna win by out like by population growth right i've never heard i've never heard that that's a that's a pretty but there's this there's this whole Part of his rhetoric was that was about um, kind of even when the military struggle is done, the struggle still has to continue. Mm. Um, and you know, t- to be fair, the the leader of Hamas just the other day made similar comments. You know, in terms of in terms of this is just any peace is just a first step. Okay, well, you know, you Hamas has finally um, popped up in this conversation. Now, you know what, I, and I and I like the way this has turned out. I mean, I, I think the actual kind of conflict, or or like you said, you know, however you want to describe it, between uh, recently in in Gaza um, and the exchange of of fire, well, fire and, and obviously, you know, whatever one thinks, um, the some of the scenes out of Gaza were were quite horrific. I do know um, some Israelis were also sadly killed in in these um, exchanges of mortar fire. But uh, two in my city, right? So we're gonna, but we're going to. I I think in some ways that has been the caves of Altamira. Our mission here is to kind of dig into undercurrents, and we've certainly been doing that. So this is excellent. And and but since you mentioned Hamas, I mean. Questions I have, and 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 and, and you know, I want to hear your thoughts on them. I'm always, I've always liked kind of hear your your takes on these things. Okay, that's a wrap for the first half of our conversation. I think we laid some really nice groundwork here, and at least to my mind, I think the second half of the conversation really builds upon this to push forward an interesting set of ideas, and we have a really interesting set of exchanges and back and forth. So. Um, I hope you enjoyed this half of the conversation and I hope you'll tune in next week to hear the second half. Thanks so much as always for listening and have a great day.